Idris Elba plays Marshall Stacker Pentecost in the film Pacific Rim. He is a tough-as-nails military man who has a fatherly and a sacrificial side that you don't really see till later in the story. But he is standing in the gap to cancel the apocalypse, as he himself says. He is a man who understands authority. Marshall Pentecost, speaking to one of his rangers, who has overstepped his boundaries and become insubordinate, Pentecost declares in a very controlled and yet very firm voice, Now you have no idea who I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point, the last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Well, I'm not holding up that particular character in that movie as the be-all and the end-all. But Marshall Pentecost gets things done. Marshall Pentecost understands the nature of authority. And his authority is not only one of position, but also, I believe, one of character. The presence of authority in our lives is a gift. Is that how you see it? Is that how we understand it? And while every gift can be abused, that does not negate its purpose or its necessity. We come to the fifth of the Ten Commandments today. It is one verse long, and it forms the hinge between the four vertical commandments which oversee our love for God, and the six horizontal commandments, which oversee our love for neighbor. It is the command to honor your father and your mother. It is divinely placed as the hinge between these two spheres of the law. It is a transition command in a way. It is a commandment that is grounded in God-given authority. And like all of the law, it is for our hope. It is for our joy, and it is for our good. Michael Horton encourages us by saying the fifth commandment is rich in wisdom for every sphere of our lives. If you've never thought of it that way, Lord willing, you won't think of it the same way ever again after today. The fifth commandment is rich in wisdom for every sphere of our lives. If we do not have clear lines of authority to which we submit, there will be anarchy. And if there is anarchy, tyranny is close behind. At the same time, authority must be tempered by the duty that rulers have to serve and defend. Indeed, the fifth commandment is rich in wisdom. Our text will take us um, but a few seconds to read this morning, and yet we could spend many, many hours unpacking it. I've given you a separate handout that touches on several topics, any one of which could be a series or a sermon of series. Trust me, you will leave frustrated this morning because of the myriad of things that I won't be able to touch on. I acknowledge that up front. But I leave these notes for your consideration and maybe even for a family discussion around the table this afternoon or this evening. Let's read Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. If the Lord allows then for the next few minutes, what I'd like to do is this. First, I want to make three quick observations 
about this commandment. And then I'd like to look at the main truth it conveys, how we practice it, and then how Christ brings this to fulfillment. So three quick observations, and then it's truth, it's practice, and it's fulfillment. That's where we're going. First, I want you to notice that this commandment is a starting point for all human relationships. It is appropriately fit to stand at the head of the neighbor, love your neighbor, commands for several reasons that I think are even hinted at right here in the context. It's a starting point, I'll say it again, our first observation, a starting point for all of our human relationships. The right relationship with mankind begins with the right relationship with God. And within this commandment, it carries all of that relationship with God that's been in the first four commandments forward into the last six in such a way that once the connection is made, it's not repeated anymore for all the others because it doesn't need to be. I want you to notice the phrase that is repeated in all four of the first commandments. Look at it with me there. It is this phrase in verse 2. The Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Drop down to verse 5. See the phrase again. For I, the Lord your God. Jump down to verse 7. Do not take the name of the Lord your God. Verse 10. Uh, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And now it's repeated for the last time as it carries the weight of all of that picture of God now into the foundation of our relationship with other men in verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. It climaxes here, that phrase does, within the Ten Commandments. And it gives the fruit of the knowledge of God in saying not only does that influence all the ways you interact vertically with him, but now it's going to influence the way you interact with all other human beings, starting with your God-given authority on the face of this earth. When you come into this world, your parents. What this commandment is doing is it's building a bridge by carrying all of the authority of God forward, which has been there. And he's saying, he is the Lord your God, and he has given you a particular authority, namely your parents. And so the starting point for your relationships is to understand that all of them take place under his authority, and that is modeled, it is learned, it is carried out for us, first in the home and in the early years of our lives. This commandment really is going to answer the question, why? Why should we honor the Lord? Because the Lord is God. How as well? It points to, how do we honor the Lord your God? Well, he is the Lord your God. So we're going to get to some ways that we actually carry this forward, both as as children today in home with their parents, dependent children, and it still bears, um, uh, it bears upon our lives even as adult children, even after we're independent, just in a different way. The Lord is the starting point for doing all human relationships well. Notice, secondly, in this commandment that equal honor is given to both father and mother. Equal honor is given to both father and mother. Verse 12, again, honor your father and your mother. Both are named. You may not think much of that, but understand how incredibly countercultural this is in the day in which it was given. 
The Bible, especially the Old Testament, is thought by many today to be hopelessly patriarchal. We need, to, we need to evolve beyond that. We need to progress beyond ancient ideas of God and religion. Well, there is an appropriate patriarchy in the Word of God because it is part of how God has ordered His world. The problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with our culture. And when the culture cancels God... When the culture rebels against God, then that distorts its view and understanding of God. What I want us to notice is while many would say, oh, the Bible is is hopelessly out of step with the world today. No, the Bible was hopelessly out of step with the world of its day because it's eternal. And it's actually out of step with the world of every day because it's timeless What I want us to notice is that the ancient text has this profoundly countercultural statement in it, and God hasn't had to update it. This command, says Phil Riken, the fifth commandment, this command is without parallel in the ancient world. Now, I don't know enough to quote that with any authority, but I lean on his. Mother and father, by the way, you'll find echoed throughout the Old Testament. Not just fathers, but mothers and fathers deserving of full honor. You see, the world thinks that it is progressing from some primitive past to an enlightened future. But God is timeless in a way that he's already far ahead of us. And we find it here in that which didn't fit in its day. Third, I just want you to quickly notice. Notice that submission to authority brings a blessing. Submission to authority brings a blessing. Honor your father and mother that. This is a purpose or a result statement. That your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Now, of course, within the context of the covenant and the giving of the promised land, which this generation is headed for, um, though only the younger generation will make it in, It's given within that context. But understand that the prolonging of life in the land ultimately is meant as a picture of fullness of life and blessing of God. So that when the Apostle Paul picks up this commandment in the New Testament, he will say not that you might live long in the land, but so that it might go well with you. And he gives a a New Testament application of that truth. The point is there is a peculiar promise when we submit to our God-given authorities. All right, those are the three observations. Now, what does all of this convey to us? The commandment, honor your father and your mother. What truth? What truth does it embody? Here we go. A right relationship with authority is foundational for knowing God and living well in the world. If you get nothing else this morning, that would be the one thing to take away from the fifth commandment. I'll say it again. A right relationship with authority is foundational for knowing God and living well in his world. That is invested in the commandment itself and also part and parcel with where the commandment is situated within the Ten Commandments in all the transition and the move to the love neighbor commands that I've just mentioned. A right relationship with authority is foundational for knowing God and living well in his world. And what the fifth commandment tells us is that parents 
are God's first training ground for us to learn this truth. A child left to itself is a roving appetite, and they would destroy the world had they the power to do so. This is neither good for a child nor for the world. But if it's true for the child, how much more is it true for adults who also can grow in their power and faculties and expressiveness of whatever is in their hearts. If it's true of children and adults, how much more is it true of societies which are a collection of individuals who are roving appetites? A right relationship with authority is foundational for knowing God and living well in his world. In its folly, our society has impeached God and instead has enthroned its own appetites as king. Carl Truman explains this exceedingly well in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I understand about a half of this book if I read it through eight or ten times over, paragraph by paragraph. But he does the heavy lifting to connect the dots of how we got to where we are today in Western culture. It's an outstanding read if you are interested in this sort of thing. I'll just give a brief quote from his book. Traditional cultures normally direct the self outward to communal purposes in which the self can find satisfaction. In other words, traditionally cultures taught individuals that we live in community. And by finding and living in our place in community, we find what is meaning and satisfaction. We were designed that way. But, says Truman, in the era of psychological man, that's the one we live in now, this direction has clearly been reversed. Now, satisfaction and meaning are found in authenticity. Satisfaction and meaning are now found by an inward turn. And the culture is reconfigured to this end. Indeed, culture must now serve the purpose of meeting my psychological needs. Anything that threatens the fullest and freest expression of my perceived individualism is now an act that causes me psychological harm. Sound like I just read the headlines of this week? Any act that thwarts or threatens the fullest and freest expression of my perceived individualism is something that causes me psychological harm because authenticity is where meaning and satisfaction are found, living out my truest self. And friend, you can pinpoint certain communities where that is their headline, but trust me, we all are drinking these waters. We all are breathing this air. That's part of Truman's point. And it is only a work of God to help us understand how his redemption through Christ applies to that. Well, I commend that book to you, enough of that. Make no mistake, this centuries-long shift is a reality in our world today. I think you would agree with that, and it's a plague. And we all are awash in it more than we know. But this expressive individualism has a cure. In fact, it has myriad aspects that address, confront, and redeem us back to what we need to be within this realm. But for this morning, I touch on it only to understand this is the biggest foundation that we can see so clearly where even the fifth commandment is a piece of what God has given for our good. What rescues us out of 
this enthroning of self is the understanding that there is an authority over us in the world into which we were born. And that authority is foundational for knowing God and living well in the world he created. The cure for expressive individualism is built into the Lord's design from when he first formed his new nation. And he said that the job of parents was to provide a solid authority from the inception of life that teaches a child that they are not the center of the universe. The first question that uh, the Westminster divines, uh, the wise church leaders gathered together, hammered out in the Westminster Confession in previous centuries, the first question states, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Much of our society today would claim that the chief end of man is to glorify myself and enjoy myself forever. Kevin DeYoung, again, helps us to connect the dots. He says, the home is where we learn to live with other people. It's where we learn that there are authority structures in the world. The family is where we learn about respect and obedience and ideally, done rightly, where we learn about love and protection through that authority. So this is the need of our soul today and every day. This generation and every generation, the crying need of our soul is to settle who is in charge. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that most of us, many of us typically will have a quiet time or whatever you might call it, first thing in the morning, so that as we enter into our day, we, we bring up our selfishness um, abruptly and say, look, let us settle today who is in charge, and not just live out the thought that we are our own gods. Parents are a God-given authority in our lives to help us settle who, who is it that is in charge. A right relationship with authority is foundational for knowing God and for living well in his world. Well, that is this commandment's truth. Let's spend a little bit of time now talking about its practice. How do we live in this promise? Friends, I know in talking through this that you have failed to honor your parents as well as you might. Know that I have failed to honor my parents as I ought. But we come back to this foundation to understand that, yes, part of the work of the law is as a mirror to expose our need so that we run to Christ as Savior and Helper, but also as a guide, as a lamp for our feet to show us how we might walk to please him. So I want to talk through some of the pieces of this. How do we live in the promise? Well, it's going to look a little bit different depending upon your age and stage of life. It's going to look a little bit different for each of us depending upon the nature of our parents and also for our children. Are they saved? Do they know Christ? Do they make a claim to? Are they in rebellion? It's going to look a little bit differently for us, given distance and circumstances and many other things. But I just want to establish a principle because I believe it is life-giving. I believe there's a promise for those who live under this authority that I know I want to experience as much as I can. And I think you do too.
So let me give you three quick application points right here. You can just laundry list them. How do we live in the promise then of honoring mother and father? First, express thanks, show respect, and ask for their input. I'm not even going to give scriptures for these, okay? I don't think these are wildly afield from the truth of scripture. Express thanks. We're commanded to give thanks always. Okay, sorry, I gave a verse. Show respect. Well, that's just the definition of honor. But I would also add, ask for their input. Ask for your parents' opinion. Is the only time that you find out about what your parents think about something is when you've messed up or when they're lecturing you how to do it right. Or are there times where there's free-flowing interaction between you just to say, hey, what do you think about this? You and I probably don't know the hardships of what our parents did for us when we were young. We weren't old enough to understand. We were there, but, but only in the sense that we were, you know, protected from so much of the ugliness of the hard decisions they made. I can still remember the day, uh, and it was, I mean, I was very much an adult. I was in my 30s. I don't know when it was. When it finally dawned upon me that my dad, for whatever reason, was led to move our family when I was a newborn from Gary, Indiana, right outside Chicago, to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Now, for good, bad, or indifference, there's lots you could make of that decision. The fact is, that was a life-defining decision for me, wasn't it? I can't, I can't imagine what life would be like. And yet, I, I was 30-something-odd years old before it ever even crossed my mind to think, hey, that was kind of a big deal. And, and it was hard because both my mother and my father had almost their entire family living in the northern Indiana and Chicagoland area at the time. It was huge that they did that. I remember going back and just telling my dad, hey, thanks. I just want to say thanks uh, for making a hard decision because I'm pretty happy with my life and how it worked out. I know you're not perfect, but that was a cool decision. Thank you. We don't even know. Have you ever just been curious about your parents' upbringing? That's one application. Express thanks, show respect, ask for their input. You get three for the price of one there. Next, listen. Listen. Listen to and heed the teaching of your parents. I'm just going to read from several Proverbs that demonstrate the wisdom of this that was part and parcel of the cultural, theological understanding of the foundation of that day reflected in Proverbs. You can just jot down these verses. We don't have time to turn to all of them, but Proverbs 1.8 under listen says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Notice again both the mother and the father mentioned there. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck to listen to our parents and their wisdom. They're not infallible. If they're not believers, they may even have opinions that stand opposed to the realities of God's truth and, and his authority in our lives. But listening and heeding, and then whatever is appropriate for your stage of life, hearing those. What a great joy. If you're a parent, you know when you ask your child to do it, do something and they do it quickly, joyfully, without complaint. 
listen to and heed the teaching of your parents is part of how we live in the promise. Next, give your heart. Give your heart and your affections to your parents. Proverbs 23. Nope, that's not the right one. Yes, it is. Proverbs 23, 26. The author of Proverbs just says, Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. I remember attending a father-son retreat with uh, Noah and Eli when they were little guys. And I remember hearing this for the first time and sitting there next to my sons, having them hear the pleading of the Lord saying, the Lord says to you, sons, give me your heart. And your father would plead with you, say, give me your heart. And I thought, thank you, God. Thank you that my sons are hearing this because I never knew, but this is exactly all that I've ever wanted. I've wanted their hearts. And so does every parent at some level, don't we? How do we give our hearts Well, just as we might pursue the hearts of our parents by asking and listening and valuing their opinion and wondering about their past aloud with them, so in the same way we reciprocate by by opening up to them. I read this week uh, the uh, one commentator who said, uh, just this week I was talking to a parent who said that for years now, my relationship with my teenage son has essentially been encapsulated by a series of grunts because that's all I ever get from him. Children, bless your parents and be blessed by giving your heart, sharing with them what matters to you. Next, respond to correction. Respond to correction. Proverbs 15.5 says, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. They are not perfect, are they? Hey, can I borrow your hand out really quick? Take a quick look at the bottom of the back page. I've given you the the 104th question from the Heidelberg Catechism, which happens to be uh, one of the tools that uh, our forefathers used to train their children in doctrine and theology and scripture and walking with God. The 104th question has to do with the fifth commandment. What does God require in the fifth commandment? Here's what I want to highlight to you. That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities. That's what I want to highlight. We don't heed the correction of our parents because they're perfect. We can acknowledge their infirmities, their finitude, their, their lack of understanding, even their own sin and grievous mistakes. Also patient bear, patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities. Here's the reason why. Since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. This is true of all authorities, by the way, and it's a whole sermon to talk about 
the fact that we live in a society that allows us to air our grievances with our, our civic rulers. Praise God for that. Amen. That is a necessary and God-given part of the process. But still, at some level, we submit to our authorities. That's a whole other topic. But just notice for us, it's not just for children with parents, but it's in other ways as well. Respond to appropriate God-given correction. And then lastly here, I would say, remember them in their old age. Remember them in their old age. Proverbs 23, 22 exhorts all of us in this. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Don't you love the comprehensiveness of that proverb, how poetic it is? Your father who begot you, your mother when she is old. Mother and father from beginning to end. Don't forget them. If you're an adult child of living parents, it's hard in the busyness of life, isn't it? Sometimes to remember our parents. And in family relationships where there's been hurt and brokenness, there's even animosity and there can be a lack of desire to remember our parents. Initiate with them. Pick up the phone or text or email or Facebook or whatever it is they do. Smoke signal. Spend time with them. Remember them in their old age. Now this one is fitting to be the last in this list that we've talked about because now I want to fine point this. How do we live in the promise? I've just given you several as a laundry list. And any of us as children of any age could benefit from doing these things. Haven't told you anything there you didn't already know. But I want to go just a step further and talk about how do we live in the promise when it's hard. I want to talk about a couple of peculiar helps because I think for many of us this is where we are. I think it is a scheme of the devil to destroy the bond between parent and child. It is a well-known tactic of tyrants to destroy the bond between parent and child. Because if you can sever the child from their God-given authority in, in the initial place of their life, then they are open to being ruled and wielded by just about anything else. How do we live in the promise when it's hard? When your parents aren't believers. When time and hurts have caused you to grow hardened with one another. And it's difficult even to talk. And let me turn it around. For you as parents of grown children. How do we live out our part in this promise when it's hard? When children turn away from the Lord. And spurn the direction you've given them and grow selfish in their lives. How do we live in the promise when it's hard? Let me give you three thoughts for both parents and children. First, seek reconciliation. Just write it down. Seek reconciliation. This is, again, an entire study of its own. But Romans twelve eighteen says, As far as it is possible, as much as it depends upon you, 
Live at peace with everyone. Seek to be reconciled. What's my point with that? Sometimes it's so hard and it hurts so bad that you just give up. But what if the Lord says, I'm not done? What what if the Lord says, you know what? You know why it hurts so bad? Because I gave this relationship to you, mother. I gave this relationship to you, daughter, son, father, as a blessing. And it was, it was meant to be rich in your life. It was meant to be a conduit that would demonstrate to you that I am good and I am God. And when it went sour, it hurts like nothing else could hurt you. Because it's so close. But I'm not done. Are you willing you don't, you don't have the power unilaterally to create reconciliation. It takes two parties to reconcile a relationship. That's where Romans 12, 18 is so instructive for us. On the one hand, it doesn't hold us responsible for that which we cannot do on our own, as much as it depends on you. But it does hold us responsible to do that which is our part. As far as you can, seek peace, shalom, wholeness, reconciliation. You may have to go about that by baby steps. You may be years away from ever talking about that event that so crushed your soul. But just listening and asking and sharing and giving your heart and all of these other things can be the baby steps of not giving up. Seek to reconcile as much as it is your part, as much as the Lord gives you. That's how we live in the promise when it's hard. Second, pray. Duh, I needed to come to church to be told to do that. Ah, But I want to give you a a particular encouragement because it has been to me. Pray for the Lord to build the house. Pray for the Lord to build the house. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer works in vain. Unless the watchman stands guard over the city, the watchman stand guard in vain. Guess what? You cannot rebuild the house of your parent-child relationship on your own. You can't. But the Lord can. And he does. What about just saying, you know what, God? I am so hurt, but okay. I want to live in your promise. I want to know that blessing. And I want to glorify you. I live under your authority. So with all the power that you would give me, Lord, would you build this house? And just see what he might allow you to do. You cannot grow in your sanctification without prayer. You just can't in any area. You can't fix two-party relationships. But he can, and he gives grace. So respond to his authority, whether your role is the parent or the child in it. Third, invest. Seek to reconcile, pray for the Lord to build the house, and then invest. And invest for the Lord's sake. Peter writes in 1 Peter, do not return insult for insult, but give a blessing instead. You know what that is a command to do? What that is a call to do? It's a call for us to invest when it's hard to do the impossible, to do the the unthinkable in our world. Our world doesn't work this way. This is crazy talk. God says, yeah, I know. But I do miracles. 
no matter how hard my relationship might be with my parent, with my child. My call before God is to invest. And once I settle who's in charge, well, now I can at least put all my energies in one place. (laughs) And I see how terribly short I fall, and so I come and I cry out and say, Lord, build this house. I can't invest, Lord. I just can't do it. I can't do it again. I can't open myself up. That may be a truth for where you stand today. Just start by praying and ask the Lord what he might give. Let me ask you some questions first that may, at both one and the same time, convict you and make you miserable and at the same time free you and give you power. Can you love that person as a member of your family? I don't know, it's so broken. (laughs) Family is a joke, okay? Then can you love that person as a brother or sister in Christ? Oh, they're not. They don't even claim to be. Or they claim to be, but it's obvious that they're not, okay? Can you love that person as your neighbor? Because you're commanded to love your neighbor. You don't understand What they've done is inhuman. It's cruel how I've been treated. Okay? Can you love that person as a stranger who you've never met? Because that's commanded. And if you can't do that, then can you love that person as your enemy? Because that's commanded too. Invest for the Lord's sake, and may God in his grace meet you at the point of your willingness to create in you by the fruit of his spirit the power to obey and glorify him. And even if it short circuits and doesn't get off the ground, God himself will be glorified and his work in you will be beautiful. This is not something we do once. We don't seek to reconcile once. Good, figured that out, that's done. That glorious day may come or it may never. But the Lord will be honored as for the tenth time and the hundredth and the thousandth time you seek how to live in the promise when it's hard lastly and very quickly this morning i just want to end with this it's truth it's practice and now this commandment it's fulfillment how has christ fulfilled and deepened and transformed this portion of the law because that's what christ does he fulfills and he deepens and he transforms all of the law well a couple thoughts christ perfectly kept the fifth commandment for you (laughs) that's our hope when we come to any aspect of the law and we go, God, I have so made a train wreck of this by not obeying you. How can I even come to you and stand before you? I have been treated so badly and hurt so deeply. Christ perfectly keeps the fifth commandment and he does it for you. He did it in his earthly life as he obeyed his parents, Luke Chapter 2 tells us after coming back from Jerusalem from the time of the Passover, he stayed for a while. They were headed back to Nazareth. Uh, Mom and dad freaked out when they couldn't find him. They went back and found him. He was teaching in the temple because that's what 12-year-olds do if they're the eternal son of God. And so they are stern with him. And he replies with great respect. I had to be about my father's business in so many words. And then Luke 2.51 says, And he continued in subjection to them as they made their way back down to Nazareth, which is what he had done his entire life. 
Oh, the call of God, if it ever was in conflict with the authority of his parents, he honored his father every time. But outside of that, he was always in subjection to his earthly parents. In addition to that, he honored and obeyed his heavenly father. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but you can go back and start in John 5. The son can do nothing except what he sees the father do. The father has given him his works to do. Christ has been the perfect son. He has kept the heart of the law. He has modeled it for you and for me. He has always lived to please the father. You have not perfectly honored your mother and your father, but Christ has, and he has done it for you. Christ also helps you keep the fifth commandment. He helps not only has he kept it for you, but he helps keep it in you. He helps you honor the Father by honoring the Son. John 5, 23 says that. Jesus says, so that God, I have come from the Father so that all might honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And so in the same way, just by seeking the Lord Jesus, he gives us the grace and the power to honor his Father, who, if you know Christ, has now become your Father all of those how to live in the promise things we've mentioned before all come through Christ and by the power of his spirit. Finally and most richly, Christ has provided the Father for you. You've been hurt because your parents weren't perfect. I would guess if we lined up on one side of the room or the other in answer to the question, yes or no, have you been deeply hurt by your parents, one side of the room would have very, very, very few people in it. Because our parents weren't perfect. You have a father who is. And he is provided perfectly for you in Christ. First Peter 3.18 says that Christ died so that he might bring us to God. He has given us a father who is good. And there is an ocean of healing and a lifetime of learning that comes along with this. I want you to turn to Psalm 27 because I want to end with this and I hope it would be an encouragement to you. If you're in that place where maybe your father and your mother haven't guided you as maybe they ought, and be encouraged in Christ who brings you to the Father who does it so well. Psalm 27. Hear the words of the psalmist crying out to the Lord in verses 9 and 10. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. I don't find the NAS translation my favorite of that verse. It usually is. The ESV and several others say, but the Lord will take me in. That's the idea. When those who had God-given authority over me may have mistreated me and left me hurt and broken in ways that still scar me to this day, yet, oh God, don't forsake me, for you take me in. The authority of Christ is a fixed point in the universe. We do not exist 
in our own authority. A right relationship with authority, which might be most clearly demonstrated in our lives through our relationships with our parents. Yes, there are many qualifiers to that statement. But this morning, I want to establish a foundation, not chase 500 other important applications. I want to establish the foundation. Our right relationship with authority may be most clearly demonstrated through our relationship with our parents. And this is foundational to knowing God, to having his blessing, and to living well in the world. Stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Gracious God, our good God, gracious Father, our very own Father, we thank you that we have the authority of Jesus Christ, your eternal and beautiful and perfect Son, to call you our Father as he has called you Father from forever. Thank you that you take me in. Would you, most gracious Lord, help us to just know what from this you want us to do. It's huge, it's pervasive, and sometimes the hurts run deep because we've fallen short lots or we've been hurt lots. And yet you, Father, take us in and you're the great healer. Grant that we might live well under your authority and in the messiness of our lives and our families, of our children and our parents. Let us live unto you. This we ask, all to your praise, our saving God, our dying Savior, empowering Spirit. We say all this for your glory. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here to worship with us this morning.